Okay, Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 12. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Let's pray. Father God, I ask that your spirit would teach us tonight from your word that you have given to us for the purposes that we need um, I pray that your spirit would enlighten us, open your living word to us, that we would benefit from our increased knowledge of you, that you would use your living word to change us and conform us more to the image of your beloved son, who gave his life for us and exchanged his righteousness and his inheritance for the wrath that we deserved. Thank you for him, who now intercedes for us, our lawyer, who stands for us and successfully pleads our case when charges are brought against us by the enemy. And even when we condemn our own selves, your son stands and says, no. My life paid for those sins, and this is a co-inheritor with me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for making us your brothers and your sisters, that we indeed and actually inherit with you the vast riches from the Father that, he has, that he's had for you from all eternity. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus, on your merits. Amen. So last week, um, essentially, we looked at verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask. So here's Paul's petition. He asked that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom, and I could even read it, and in all spiritual understanding, because the word spiritual there modifies both wisdom and understanding. So, just for a bit of review, he's praying, his petition, his prayer request, is that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, filled with it, consumed by it, overwhelmed by it. It's like taking one of these cups and pouring water into it, and pouring it until not only gets to the top, but it even spills out, spills over the top. Somewhat what we have from Psalm 23, where David says, my cup overflows. 
So that's the idea. That's the filling that he, the picture of the filling that he's talking about here. And he's talking about being filled with the knowledge of his will. And this word knowledge does not mean an impression. It doesn't mean a feeling. It doesn't mean a sense. It's talking about tangible, actual, literal knowledge that comes only from God's word. And he's saying, I pray that you would be filled with that in all spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. So the idea of wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to accumulate and organize biblical principles. And understanding is the ability to then apply those principles to daily living. So this is what Paul is asking, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and that it would be for the purpose of their accumulating, understanding, organizing the principles in Scripture that God has given us for the purpose of applying it to their lives. That's his prayer. And then he goes into verses 10 through 12, and in a sense, <clears throat> pardon me, in a sense what we have here is the fruit of his prayer, the result of his prayer. And he starts off saying in verse 10, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And I thought we would get through verse 12 tonight, but actually we're probably, well, not probably, I don't think I can go beyond the phrase so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is a theme that goes all through the New Testament, not just Paul, but very much it, it's something that Paul emphasized, this idea of walking and walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. So we can look at this text and go, oh, well, he's giving us some ideas here what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Because look at the rest of how it's worded. Well, walking worthy of the Lord would involve pleasing him in all respects. It would involve bearing fruit in every good work. It would involve increasing in the knowledge of God. There we have this knowledge of God again. It would involve being strengthened with all power. And that's powers according to his might, not anybody else's might. And the purpose of this is to attain steadfastness and patience. And if you will, that result being to joyously give thanks to the Father. And by the way, the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So in typical Paul fashion, He's got one sentence that's just, it's packed fuller than a moving van because of all of the things he's got in it. But going back to the beginning of verse 10, where he first begins to talk about, if you will, the result of his prayer request, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So if I could get some readers, someone for Ephesians 4 verse 1, Steve. Philippians 1, verse 27. Jen. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12. Silas. <laughs> Heidi. 1 Thessalonians 2, 12. Silas, you're obviously, your time's coming. 3 John 1, 6. Find the Bible. I need a reader. You have a Bible now, Silas. 3 John 1, 6. So while you're looking these up, um, the word walk 
means literally to behave, to conduct yourself, to lead your life in such a manner. It really carries the idea of covering over something. So he's talking about let the way that you live overarchingly uh, affect everything. And the idea is to live consistent, consistently with our, being identified with Jesus Christ. So as you know right now, Nathaniel is at boot camp in Fort Benning, Georgia, and he's at boot camp for the Army. Now, he has a brother that's in the Marine Corps, and there's competition between the Marine Corps and the Army, and the, they both think they're really hot. You know, the Marines have all of this that they say we're better at. The Army has these things that they say they're better at. And so they're always going to be doing things. This is worthy of being a Marine. You've got Army guys. That's not worthy of being a Marine. And then the Army guys do just the opposite. Well, in a sense, this is what we've got here. He's saying walk in such a way because we are identified with Christ. Not merely identified with this branch of the service or that branch of the service. Not merely because we're identified with this particular church or that particular church or this particular denomination or that particular denomination. But he's saying walk in a manner worthy of the Lord such that you are identifying yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Ephesians 4 verse 1. I think that was Steve. Go ahead. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Philippians 1.27 Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in the spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Uh, 1, Thess 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12. Heidi? We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you. And then 3 John 1, 6, Silas. Who testified to your love for the church, you will do well to send them on their, on their journey. So John is instructing them. They've had some people visiting them who were representing the gospel. And as they're leaving them, he says, send them, on a way, send them on their way in a manner worthy of the gospel of God. So this idea of in a manner worthy is very uh, consistent throughout the New Testament. Um, as I was reading this, I'm going... I can pull that off fairly well when I'm being watched. You know, it's easy to do it in front of you all. I'm not going to use curse words in front of you guys. I'm not going to look at things I shouldn't look at in front of you all. I'm not going to listen to things I shouldn't look at in front of you all. So when we're in public, it's not so hard to walk in a manner that would identify me with Christ. But when we're in private, when I'm driving in my car from home to one of my offices, I'm listening, I listen to uh, books on tape sometimes. I started one this morning, had no idea what I was getting into, and about three or four minutes into it, I realized, I can't listen to this. Can't listen to this. 
Um, haven't always done like that because I'm in the car. I'm in the car by myself. Who's going to know what I listen to? God will. So this idea of walking in a manner worthy of Christ, worthy of the Lord God, worthy of the gospel, is something that's critical for us because of who, not just we represent, but because of who we're identified with. So walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. I'm going to drop to this bearing fruit for just a little bit, even though we're going to hit it a little harder next week. Essentially, the scriptures talk about three kinds of fruit. In my growing up, very, 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 very churched, the only fruit that I was ever, that was ever presented to me was, um, if you're going to bear fruit, that means you've talked to somebody about Jesus Christ and they have prayed to receive Christ. They have become a Christian because you talk to them. Your, your life has borne fruit because now there's another Christian. Even though there is truth to that, that's not the only thing the scripture says about bearing fruit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And by the way, I would point out it's singular fruit. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So when we talk about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, one evidence of that being bearing fruit, one of the ways that that will show up in our spiritual growth is that our character will change along the lines of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, not joy because of the circumstances. Peace, patience, not patience because everybody's cooperating with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I can be so argumentative. I can just find something to correct Norma about or correct somebody on TV about. I can, I'm amazed at how argumentative I automatically am. Frighteningly so. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. My voice sometimes makes me ungentle. I've got to watch how I talk, what tone I use. Gentleness and self-control, a whole topic in itself. Um, so that's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. One of the components of fruit in, our, in the life of a Christian is character. Turn, if you would, to Titus 2, a favorite book of Steve's and mine, because we taught it together one summer. Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. Um, I'm already there, so I'll read it. Because uh, a second aspect of, aspect of spiritual fruit is righteous actions. You know what? Before I read this, would someone also look up Hebrews 12, verse 11? So I'm going to read Titus 2, 11 to 14. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us. So here we're talking about righteous actions, instructing us to... Uh, live, I'm sorry, deny ungodliness and worldly desires 
to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So when we talk about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord and bearing fruit, one of the evidences, one of the other things about bearing fruit is doing good deeds. I mean, I know at Charlottesville Community Church, I'm amazed at the things that the church does in concert with the school. Kale? Um, with Kale Elementary, that to me, that's such an, an extremely accurate example of doing good deeds rightly, properly motivated, and in the right context. So as far as an example of that, kind of in a corporate standpoint, I, I would point to the things that the church does there with that school where they meet. Thirdly, a third aspect of fear, spiritual fruit is if you will, new converts. Romans 1, um, verse 13, reads as follows. Romans 1, 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you, and by the way, have been prevented thus far, in order that I might obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. So the implication there is that he's talking about going to Rome, and one reason to go to Rome is to preach the gospel among the Romans there and have some of them come to Christ. Well, we know that that happened because earlier when we studied the little book of Philemon, Onesimus shows up in Rome, and in Rome he interacts with Paul, and as a result, Onesimus comes to faith in Christ. So that's one of the very things that happened with Paul in Rome. So walking in a manner worthy of the Lord has to do with bearing spiritual fruit, which is attitudes, actions, and witnessing and converts. Uh, one of Norma's and my most favorite teachers as we were growing spiritually in college was a man named Ron Dunn. Uh, in one of his talks to us, he made this quote that I've never, ever forgotten. He said, the fruit of a Christian is the Christian life. And the fruit of the Christian life is another Christian. So that, that intermediate step, it's not just if I'm a Christian and I'm bearing fruit, then somebody else will become a Christian. Well, yes, but it's more accurately described, if I'm a Christian... The fruit that will show up is the Christian life in me, and the result of that will be, at some point, in some way, another Christian. Um, so, here I'm going to do something different. Oh, I'm sorry, thank you. Hebrews 12.11. Did somebody look up Hebrews 12.11? Uh, this was back having to do with righteous actions. Hebrews 12, 11. If you've got that, Sean, go ahead. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, discipline from God 
trains us to live in righteous ways. So um, thanks for reminding me, honey, but that's going back to uh, this, the second type of spiritual fruit, which is righteous actions. And those things come about as a result of being trained trained by the Word, and trained by the discipline, the training of God. The word discipline there does not mean punishment. It carries the idea of training, discipleship, and it can be very uncomfortable. Our son Nathaniel right now is experiencing experiencing some very uncomfortable, difficult situations. He's being pressed beyond what he thinks he can do, beyond what he's done in the past. It's for the purpose of training him so that he will become a great soldier, if you will. So training um, in order to, to bear spiritual fruit. If you would now, go back to Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 10. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So... A week and a half or so ago, there was a walk in Charlottesville. I'm not suggesting that it was by large numbers of Christians, but it certainly was not in manner worthy of the Lord. So, remembering what it says here in verse 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, go over to chapter 3. Of Colossians. Because there are things that I believe we need to understand from the scripture's perspective of what's taken place in our town here. So Colossians 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. If then, and that phrase quite literally means given or sense. If then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked. Here we have walk again. When you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. As I was working on tonight, back in chapter 1, um, Chapter 3, verse 8, kept coming to mind. I just, it, it came, came to mind and came to mind and came to mind, and I kept going, no, that's the application part. We've got to wait because we're not there yet. We're still in chapter 1. We can't be jumping way ahead to chapter 3. And yet, 
verse 8 from chapter 3. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Going on to verse 9, don't lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, we have a picture here of the evil practices of an unregenerate person. Working backwards, when I'm unregenerate, I'm going to lie without any problem at all. When I'm unregenerate, there's going to be abusive speech coming out of my mouth. I'm going to be slanderous. I'm going to have malice. I'm going to have wrath. And I'm going to have anger. And as that verse just kept going around in my head, I thought, that's really what we witnessed on the news. And Charlottesville has been in the national news every day for, what, a week and a half now? Just a week? So every day, and it's been because we witnessed anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. We should expect those kinds of things from the unregenerate. It's not because there's a political problem. It's not because there's an economic problem. I would even submit to you it's not because there's a, quote, racial problem. By that I mean we have to turn back to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to read 1 through 9. So this is the very, very, very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's selected his disciples. They don't know what they've gotten into, but it really wasn't their choice. He chose them. And so, John 4, verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, that John is John the Baptist. Although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. He then left Judea, departed again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So, we'll pause there at the end of verse 4 and go to my map here. He's down in Judea, and it says he left Judea, he's going back to Galilee, and the text says he had to pass through Samaria. From Jerusalem up here to Nazareth, Galilee area, is 70 to 80 miles as the crow flies. But if you were a good Jew, you didn't go due north. You either went east, crossed the Jordan River, went up on the east side of the Jordan River, then crossed the river again into Galilee. Or, from Jerusalem, you would go west, get right on the coast, go up the side by the coast, and then go east into Galilee or into Nazareth. Why? Um, drop back to John chapter 4, verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said, How is it that you, 
being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman. And the last part of the verse says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. In about 720 B.C., the Assyrians came in and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes to the north, after the kingdom had been split under the reign of Solomon, and the Assyrians took over everything. They left a batch of Jews all through the place, but they imported a lot of Gentiles into this section here, had them intermarry so that Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half Jew and half Gentile. And Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That's what the text says. That is such a quiet understatement. If you were a good Jew and the shadow of a Samaritan passed over you, you couldn't go into the temple. If you were a good Jew, you would not sit and have a meal with a Gentile or a Samaritan. You would not do it. You would be ceremonially unclean and you couldn't go worship in the temple. Absolutely, you would not intermarry with a Samaritan, much less a Gentile. So the idea of prejudice and racism has been around since Jesus' time. So let me go back now. We stopped in verse 4. Let me pick up John chapter 4, now verse 5. He came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, right smack dab in the middle of Samaria, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, meaning it's high noon. It's high noon. It's hot. That's not when you come to get water because it's too hot. His disciples had gone into the city to buy food, um, and he said to the woman of Samaria, give me a drink. She says, verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink of water since I am a Samaritan woman? The view of women in New Testament times was exceedingly low. If there was a trial going on and someone needed to testify, the testimony of two women was equivalent to the testimony of one man. In one of the Jewish Torahs, in the introduction of it, it literally was, pardon? No, but that's the way it was. In one of the Jewish Torahs, literally written in the introduction, it says it would be better if the pages of this Torah were burned than that they should be touched by a woman. There's been prejudice in our world since before Christ. It's not because we have people that are politically on the right or politically on the left. It's because it indeed is a spiritual problem. And so the idea that, well, if you're of this political persuasion, you're on the right side. If you're of this political persuasion, you're on the, left, you're the wrong side. I want to go, no. It has to do with what manner am I walking. And if I'm not of the Lord, if I'm not born again, then you should expect me to walk in a manner like what we saw, maybe not to the extreme, but what we saw 
on TV with the riots here. So I found what I thought were five offenses that we fall into in not walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. So the first one having to do with Ephesians 6, verse 4. So turn to Ephesians 6, 4. I'm sorry, 6, verse 9. Because one of the things that was presented to us that we tend to do is threaten. So Ephesians 6, verse 9, he says, Masters, do the same things to them, to your servants, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. I do not, you know, going back to our our verse in Colossians 1, verse 10, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I do not walk in a way that is worthy of the Lord when I threaten someone. When I behave in a threatening manner, when I use threatening words, that's an offense before the Lord. That's not walking in a manner worthy of Him. Secondly, we've already looked at this in in, uh, Colossians 3, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. When I practice those things, when I participate and act like that, when that's what's coming out of my mouth, it doesn't matter which side I'm on on any political issue. It doesn't matter what my economic opinions are. When I behave in a manner that is anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech, I'm violating the principle of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Third, for the third one, go to Luke 18. So this is Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. This offense is the offense of self-righteousness. Because you know, Back in the riots down at that park, both sides declared they were right. Both sides declared it. The act of such a blatant declaration falls into the realm of self-righteous. So Luke 18, 9 to 14. Jesus is speaking and he says, He also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Again, the description of what we can do with one another and what we saw to the extreme practiced should caution us to be careful in this area. So verse 10, here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other, a despicable tax gatherer. I added the word despicable. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other people. I'm glad I don't have their political persuasion, their economic mindset. Um, I'm glad I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, 
adulterers, and even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Exalting oneself is not the same as standing for what we know from Scripture is true. So we have a picture here in Luke 18 of self-righteousness. A fourth offense that we've witnessed and that we practice, go to Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22. The fourth offense that I want to point out is how we murder. And I know someone died in these riots. And that is grievous. But we also murder when other people's hearts don't stop beating. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say, you fool, she'll be guilty enough to go into the hell of fire. So when I relate to someone who has views different from me or has an opinion different from me, and I roll my eyes and I shake my head and go, they're, they're just idiots. That's a form of murder. Because Jesus is declaring the purpose of the law was not merely, not merely to stop our acts, but to reveal what's going in our heart, whether or not it turns into that act in reality or not. So the fourth offense, murder. The fifth offense, back to the epistles, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 3. And I, brethren, he's talking to believers, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. You know, little Roman is here. He didn't eat any of the food from the counter. Doesn't mean he's unhealthy. He's just young and small and immature. And Paul's pointing out we have that they were spiritually immature. How did he know it? He reveals it in verse the end of the sentence starts at the end of verse 2. 
He says, indeed, even now you're not yet able. Why? Because you are still fleshly. What's fleshly mean? There is jealousy and strife among you. Therefore, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? So, unbelievers, we should expect to see jealousy and strife. If there's jealousy and strife amongst believers, it's revealing immaturity that shouldn't be there based on what Paul is saying. We need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And when we detect jealousy and strife in us, that's a time to go, Lord God, grow me up. Not just change the person that I may be having the difficulty with, but grow me up. Hasten my maturity. So, I'm not bringing this up because I want to say how despicable all those people were, no matter what side they were on in the riots that took place here. But to say that is such a picture for us to see that on a quiet, maybe subtle, indirect, passive way, we do the same things. It's not walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. We should expect the world to act like the world. The Lord God is expecting us to walk in a manner worthy of His Son. This was hard for me um, because I'm looking at it going, gee... I threaten, I get mad, I'm self-righteous, I mumble under my breath about people, and I get jealous and envious and strifey. And going, I wasn't down at that park doing any of that riot stuff, but I've been doing the same thing in my heart. So, I know we went from Colossians 1, jumping way into Colossians 3. But it's as though the Lord was saying, if we're going to look at things correctly that happen in our world, we need to look at them through the perspective, through the lens of what the Scripture says. So let me pray, and then comments, additions, thoughts, discussions. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your exactness. We thank you for your holiness. Although I confess it's just overwhelming that you can function and that you do function seeing such offenses towards you and not just annihilating us with a simple blast of your breath. Thank you for warning us in your word. Thank you for instructing us in your word for what to expect from our old nature, from what to expect from those who are not regenerate. Thank you for that warning. Thank you for your admonition for us to lay those things aside, to take them off like an old, dirty 
coat, an old dirty garment, and to put on the new white perfect garment that comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for viewing us due to his substitution in our place. Thank you for viewing us having exchanged his righteousness for our wrath so that you view us and see the righteousness of your son. And that you're satisfied that the payment for all of our strife and our jealousy and our murder and our anger and our wrath and our self-righteousness, you're satisfied that the penalty for that offense has been paid for by the death of your son. Thank you for your word. Make us like your son, I pray. Conform us to his image. Empower us by your spirit to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, of his gospel, of you, Father God, in heaven. We pray this in the name of your Son, on his merits. Amen. So, thoughts.